With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Today on Stick to Football, the Big Ten is back and we're going to break it down. What does this mean for the Heisman Trophy? What does this mean for the college football playoffs? And what does this mean for the 2021 NFL Draft? It's Thursday morning. I get to sit with my guy Mello. We got Connor on the headphones and one of these days we're going to hit record early and give you guys a real taste of what Stick to Football sounds like for like the six minutes before we record. But it will be our last day uh, when that happens. So enjoy it. I I think we should do it. We should like put in a two minute silence at the end of the show. And then people will be like, why the hell is there still 10 minutes left of this episode? And that will be like the bonus episode of us just talking before we actually allegedly put record. Right. I love that idea. Yeah, it's like the end of the first Donkey Kong game where the credits come down and you <laughs> yeah. think you won and then yeah. you didn't and all hell breaks loose. So that's going to be us. Although it's we the... do have to <laughs> we'll have to work after this someday. So exactly. I don't know. It's the Jamarcus Russell story. I don't know if you guys have ever heard this story, but when he was coming out of LSU, teams were putting money at the end of the playbooks they were sending. You know, you send prospects a little playbook and then when you meet with them, you want to talk about it. Uh, there was one team that put a $100 bill on the back page. And when he came in, they asked him about it. And I know this is a story in draft day. People think I'm ripping the movie off. No, this really happened. And he was like, I have no idea you're talking about it. And when they pressed him on it, he lied and was like, oh, yeah, like that money. And like, so that was when that team was like, don't draft this kid. So that's a weird story. That's the trick. You got to put something at the end and see if people last until the end. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you went with the football analogy. I was thinking like the Avengers movies, where it's like you know the credits are rolling, but there's still more to it, so you have to stick around. That's kind of what I was going with. I'm always going to go more football analogy than Avengers analogy. Guaranteed. Yeah, I, Wasn't it, yeah. Didn't the Raiders once send him home with like DVDs, and they were blank, and they asked him like, hey, did you, did you watch everything? And he's like, yeah, yeah, like all good to go. And I've they, heard that they story, knew, yeah. They knew they were, like, fucked because they they, they were blank. So they're like, oh, great, we have also a liar at quarterback on top of someone who is not doing the work. It's so bad. <laughs> it's like, also, he's addicted to his water bottle. I don't know what's I going on. I saw LSU put out, uh, like, a Joe Burrow hype tape, and it was Jamarcus Russell narrating it. I was like, why the hell would you have Jamarcus Russell on here talking about being drafted number one? It's like, I got... Three seconds into the video, and it's like, this is stupid. I'm <laughs> turning it, it off. I can't do it. Yeah. That'd be like having Ryan Leaf do something at Washington State. You yeah. know? It's or like, like yeah. hey, Justin Herbert, here, listen to Ryan Leaf talk about what it was like being drafted by the Chargers. Oh, yeah. Maybe stay away from that. Okay. Actual football to talk about. The Big Ten is back. We've been waiting for it. I think we've gone through all the stages uh, of it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen to, oh, my God, this thing might happen. And then it was just like, Rapid testing. You can do daily testing. I saw our good buddy Ross Dellinger talking about they might even be able to like early detect before you're contagious with the the testing that they're doing in the Big Ten. It sounds amazing. And I'm just I'm all bored. Like whatever science it takes to make this happen, let's make it happen. The NFL has done a tremendous job of having a season so far. 
during the time of a pandemic. I think you can look at college football. They're not doing as well. And I'm not I'm not trying to be one of those like they shouldn't play football. I, I'm not smart enough to tell you if they should or shouldn't. I'm happy that they are. I know that. But they have eight games in eight weeks. And then they will play a conference championship game between the uh, winning seed from the East and then the winning team from the West will play in a conference championship game. And they actually get in under the wire, guys, for the college football playoff, but also for bowl games, postseason awards. So the Big Ten is back. Now we wait to see if the Pac-12 jumps on board as well. And that was a big question that I was getting yesterday. Is like, are these guys still going to be eligible for the college football playoff? Yes, that's why they're coming back in October and not November. And I, I can't imagine that the postseason awards like the Heisman Trophy are going to leave out players like Justin Fields. I think he's going to have a huge season. Uh, you can probably go ahead and bet on that one. I think he's going to win the Heisman Trophy. Even if it is in eight games, I think they'll be able to look at what he does as far as yards per game, how many touchdowns he has, and maybe you have to ratio it out. But these guys will definitely be eligible for the college football playoff, for postseason awards. And one thing that I love about this is that we're going to see the Big Ten Championship played December 19th. But they're also going to do something that I love, and I hope that the SEC and the Pac-12 and the ACC all jump on board with this because they're going to have their two top seed teams play each other for the championship. But then they're also going to take the number two seed out of each division. They're going to play each other. The number three teams are going to play each other. And four and five, six and seven. I think this is a brilliant idea. It gets everybody another game. So they're going to get to nine games. And it gives you that cross division kind of that play that you want. I'm here for it. Like a whole Big Ten championship weekend. Put it on a Friday. Put it on a Monday. I don't care. I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. And it's also obviously fun and, and selfishly in all of this and I know you guys probably feel the same way this makes scouting much easier again this year right like I I don't I can't sit here and tell you I was ready to start telling you what Justin Fields is as a prospect after last (laughs) year I I mean don't get me wrong I saw a lot of good things and there was a reason this guy was the 1B to Trevor Lawrence's 1A in that recruiting class that year, and both have really lived up to expectations already, but there were still things that he needs to improve on. He was holding the ball a long time. We have questions if he was playing hurt at times. Great runner, uh, very impressive thrower. I mean, all of those things are there, but I wanted to see another year of this, so this is phenomenal news for us. There's really no way around it. I mean, there's a lot of draft prospects in the Big Ten that needed this season of film. And it was also going to be the question of, hey, are a lot of guys just going to stay in school? And this is going to be a very thin draft class now. Uh, I think a lot of those concerns evaporate. You brought up the pack. Obviously, there's been no movement there. I quite honestly don't see any unless something suddenly changes. I don't really know what they're doing or or you know maybe they know things that they're just not saying of why they have significant concerns about playing in their regions and that's understandable if that's the case but uh for you know obviously from a selfish scouting perspective we're excited and and just hoping that everything is done in a very very safe manner of course yeah absolutely and i it's funny because i think we talked about it maybe on the tuesday show of like with these you know pac-12 big 10 and opt-out players I'm watching film on them. Like, I know, like, I can wait to watch, you know, Sam Ellinger, or I can wait to watch Kyle Trask because they're going to be playing a whole season. So it's like, oh, I got to get caught up on these guys. Now we get to push pause a little bit on the Big Ten. And as far as opt outs go, 
The rule, like, it's a little ambiguous, but the best that we can piece together, if you have signed with an agent, you are not allowed to opt back in. But players like Sean Wade, who said on ESPN yesterday that he has he has an agent, but he has not signed with them, that is allowed. Wyatt Davis, the offensive guard at Ohio State, even when he opted out, he was like, if we get to play, I'm back in. And so I think we will see, and notably for Ohio State, because they are the king of this conference by far. Now, Justin Fields was locked in. Chris Olave was locked in. Trey Sermon was locked in. Master Teague was locked in. Pete Warner, tough Borland. Now you get back a leader on your offensive line of Wyatt Davis, and you get a leader in your secondary in Sean Wade. And guys, I think this is huge for Sean Wade because, again, we talked about this on an earlier show, but here's a player with a lot of hype, a lot of potential, but I haven't seen it happen. And that's not, I'm not knocking him as a prospect. He's a, a top 20 player for me. I think he, he would be a first rounder, but we just haven't seen it happen like we have Caleb Farley or like we have Patrick Sertan. Now we get that chance. Like we are going to see. Sean Wade go against, you know, uh, the Michigan wide receivers. We're going to see him against Nico Collins. We're going to see him against the best of the best in this conference. I think that's huge for his draft stock. More than any player uh, other than Justin Fields, I think Sean Wade stands to gain a lot by this. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, like you guys have said before, we had a lot of questions with him. Not doubt, but just questions on whether or not he could play from the outside or not. I want to see him come back. I know that it's going to be a work in progress, and I, I think he's still pretty undecided. I know yesterday or uh, the other day on ESPN, he was saying, man, I just want to enjoy my birthday. I'll get to that when I get to that. But with guys like Wyatt Davis and even Pat Fryermuth from Penn State, they've tweeted and they said, we are doing everything we can to get back to football. We want to play for our universities this year. That's another guy that I'm looking forward to, not just the Ohio State guys, but to get Penn State football back. Pat Fryermuth, they call him Baby Gronk. I really want to see this dude play their running back, Journey Brown. He's a guy that I've been a little bit low on, uh, but I think that with another season to play, he's a guy who can see his draft stock just skyrocket because uh, he's a big back and he had a great year last year. So I'm very excited to get all these guys back in the Big Ten. And I hope, fellas, that you know Monday morning when we sit down to record, we're talking about how the Pac-12 is going to have a, a Halloween date kickoff. But I really want these Power 5 schools back. I think the question I have to posed to you guys is because there's got to be a loser in everything right is the biggest loser in all of this now Trey Lance it, when you look at it like we're gonna watch Trevor Lawrence throw for over 300 yards and four touchdowns many weeks this year we're gonna watch Justin Fields do the same thing and, and I know we all think Trey Lance is great mm -hmm. I think all of us had him QB2 uh, Matt, did you have him QB one? It's pretty fucking close. <laughs> exactly. It doesn't he's matter. The point is, the point is, he's in the QB one or two conversation. Is he the loser in all of this now? With Justin Fields getting a season back? Maybe. And so I've said this, and I know people probably feel like it's hedging, but I honestly see both sides of this with Trey Lance. I think that he could benefit a little bit from the fact that he's not playing because he doesn't have a chance to have a bad game. Unless if he has a bad game against Central Arkansas, we need to reevaluate some shit. But like, I, I do think that that in some ways might help him. Um, I was on the radio in Chicago last week and they were asking about, you know, Trubisky takes. And it was like, you know, the thing that people forget with Trubisky is we saw so much of Watson and Mahomes that we over evaluated them. And with Mahomes, it was like, man, that offense is not NFL at all. 
and, and it wasn't, and he had a year to acclimate, and the league has changed. With Watson, it was like, oh, he, I think he threw like 12 picks his last year, and he's kind of skinny, and you forget that he threw the football like 430 times, so 12 interceptions aren't that big of a deal, but we had time to overthink their greatness. So I do wonder with Trey Lance, does it help his draft stock? Not how good he'll be in the NFL, but does it help his draft stock that we're not going to have that that time to over-evaluate him and maybe push him down. Now, how much does it help him become a great NFL player? That's what I worry about because there is this one-year tape, and he's got 12 or 13 games of experience at a low level of competition. So what it does for me, guys, I look at Trey Lance, and it's like, I really hope you go somewhere that you get that Patrick Mahomes treatment where you get to sit for a year, learn, like, please go to the Colts and sit behind Phillip Rivers or, you know, go somewhere that there's a clear cut veteran that you can sit behind and learn for a year. And then then you get your chance in hopefully an offense that utilizes your strengths. I mean, I think that next year that'd probably have to be like the Pittsburgh Steelers and whew, buddy. Yeah. that would be Oh, please, please. <laughs> that would but be they might, They're going to be too good. That's right. true. Yeah. But well, this I is think the problem with, you run into every year. Right? With Trey Lance, with, we could look at these two guys in Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. I don't know about you guys, but watching Trevor Lawrence throw the ball again on Saturday, I was like, ooh, this guy's still got it. He's he's really good. He's maybe better than I even remembered. I think with Justin Fields, we're also going to see a little bit of recency bias when we are scouting. Maybe even not from the three of us specifically, but I think the NFL teams are. I think the GMs are going to look at what Justin Fields does this year because he is going to light it up, and so is Trevor Lawrence. And we're going to look at these two guys, and then we're going to look at Trey Lance. Like, oh, yeah, well, this is what he did in 2019, but we haven't seen him in a while. How's he going to be? And I do think that is something that can hurt his stock, whether it's warranted or not. I do think that this is something that could make him fall in the draft. That's the thing. The conversation from our end and it's funny, these are tougher to navigate on Twitter because people take it the wrong way. On the pod, they don't. We're not saying, hey, we're already in two weeks or in two games, we'll have Justin Fields back over Trey Lance. We're displaying it from the NFL side of things, the recency biases that happen every single year. And some of them aren't biases. Some of them are just players played them way their way into that spot. But like, I mean, once again, you look at if Baker Mayfield never had that final season, would he go number one overall he's probably going day three yeah he's probably going (laughs) yeah exactly so when you look at it you know these things they just matter a lot they really really do in the eyes of evaluators let me explain this to our audience too like sometimes the world or media puts like nfl evaluators on a pedestal they have the same flaws as every human where recency bias and and one last great game things like that people fall for those things and whether they are true or not it it definitely is a factor in evaluations it it really is and I, I'm glad you said that because we do and and our bosses at Bleacher Report like I'm just gonna be transparent I, there, there are days where like I don't want to text a scout for their opinion because like that they're they're guys where like I don't always value their opinion especially about a topic and so they're like hey do you want to do a like an insider buzz or a scouts report and it's like not really like I, I'd rather give my opinion you know like I I know this game. I've been studying this player, but we do. We put those guys on a pedestal to where someone who, like the three of us, who watches a lot of tape and lives in this world, like, but we we validate an anonymous scout's opinion over ours because they're an anonymous scout instead of, you know, like you're on your fourth team in three years, man, or like whatever, you know, and it's, and so I do think we put those guys on a pedestal when they make a lot of mistakes, like 75% in the first round. 
or even or like mistakes. even not even anonymous scouts like GMs, like even uh, you know, like Ballard in in Indianapolis. Like at first it's like, oh man, Quentin Nelson, Darius Leonard, all these guys that you've been drafting. But at the same time, like you lost to the Jaguars week one, and you haven't really been that great. Maybe I, I think we were a little bit too high on what he was doing there. Or even, you know, my guy in Kansas City, Brett Veach, right? Oh, this is the guy that wanted Pat Mahomes. Well, he's also the guy that drafted Breland Speaks. So <laughs> maybe take it with a little, little grain of salt. Nobody's perfect in this world. Scouts are going to miss. Draft media is going to miss. I need, I know I have a few. Pat Mahomes, probably at the top. Yeah, happy birthday to your guy today, by the way. Can you imagine being 25 and being like that? NFL MVP, NFL Super Bowl MVP, 50 touchdown season, 5,000 yard season, uh, and also half a billion dollars. Like, I'm a lot older than him, and I, it's like, what have I done with my life? I mean, I've said it before. I, he's living like every child's dream. Like, when you're like five, six years old, you pick up a football for the first time. Like, I'm going to be the richest guy in the world. I'm going to marry my high school sweetheart. I'm going to win the Super Bowl and be an MVP. Pat Mahomes is actually doing it. It's true. Not it's, bad. And good, I mean, great. For, and he's set up for future success, too, right? It's not like we oh, always yeah. wonder. Like, at this point of, like, LeBron's career, you know, we always had the fear of, like, oh, man, like, this Cleveland team just never puts it around him. And you're wondering, like, you know, is he going to have to leave? There's so much uh, concern, I think. And I'm saying this LeBron because Pat literally – has that kind of star impact where he could be the king of American sports for the next 10 years, not the king of the NFL, the king of American sports. And I think when you look at it, you feel so much better about it because Andy's there, uh, because Veach has put so much great skill talent around him, and they're a well-coached team on both sides of the ball more often than not. Like Those are the things where you're like, this is sustained success for him. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. I know that. Uh, Mello <laughs> also it, going to be fun to watch. Uh, blind Review. It's time for some Blind Review. And tonight we get uh, Bengals at Browns. Now, Blind Review, if this is your first time listening on a Thursday, the, we're sitting here Thursday morning. The game is tonight. So we break it down before it happens. We don't want you guys to feel left out. We want to do our part. We want to do our job here. And I'll tell you, fellas, this is a matchup that only Netflix could dream up. Uh, stop me if you've heard this one before. This is a crazy guy from Oklahoma pissed off about some Tigers and ready to go to battle. That's right. The battle for Ohio. It's the Bengals versus the Browns. The Dog Pound versus the Paul Browns. The Stripes versus the Wipes, fellas. Baker Mayfield is throwing some shit missiles early, but thank God Odell Beckham is there to take him to the chest. Six catches, 100 yards, two titties, tutties, I mean. Baker Mayfield hasn't been bailed out like this since his time in Fayetteville, fellas. The Browns <laughs> take this one, but on the other side of the ball, Heisman Trophy winner and true Tiger King. That's right, Joe Burrow. He had the offense purring early but can't pounce on the open opportunities. The Cleveland Steamers roll over the Bengals 24-17. I don't even have anything to add to that this week. I got nothing. <laughs> that was magical. That's I'm, I got nothing. Good luck, Connor. <laughs> I mean, listen, when, when I looked at the injury report going into this game, uh, it, it looked like shit, to be quite honest with you. But it looked real shitty for the Browns. But, you know, a little bit of adversity for Baker. Uh, he might be laughing at us now. Our, our boy Joe Burrow with the rookie ups and downs, but the Browns get Stefanski's first win and are back on track. 
There you have it. Uh, Mello, you're going to have to publish the, we're going to have to transcript that and publish it. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to be picking the biggest games from week two in the NFL and college football. Going from that blind review to these picks is going to be difficult, but that is why we are professionals for one more week. And let's start here. Number 17, Miami at number 18, Louisville. The only college game we're picking this weekend because uh, there just aren't that many good ones. But this one, we have two top 25 teams. We have an ACC battle. And I think Miami, guys, uh, Louisville favored by two and a half. I'm actually going to pick Miami to win this ball game. I love the ground game that we've seen from the Hurricanes. Uh, Derek King, I think, will get going a little bit more at the quarterback position for Miami. Uh, Louisville, definitely a talented team. I think this is one of the teams to watch in the ACC over the next few years to maybe even compete with a Clemson, to give them a little bit of trouble because I love what they have at the coaching staff. I love the way that they've been able to recruit and the development they have there. Uh, but I got to go with the Hurricanes in this one if they can stop my guy 2-2 at will. And I think that's going to be the big problem for him. I'm looking at this Louisville offense, and it is absolutely loaded. I think they have four guys that are probably going to be drafted at least, uh, and those are all skill position. When you look at Mikhail Cunningham at quarterback, he's athletic enough to beat you on the ground through the air. But these two receivers, Tutu Atwell and Des Fitzpatrick, they will spread the ball around. These guys have great speed, had a great week one, and they're running back Hawkins as well. I think that's just going to be too much for Miami. I think that this is a team... We're, we're waiting for their quarterback to kind of be the guy that he was in Houston. And, fellas, I just don't know if it's going to happen with Derek King. I thought he looked good in spurts uh, in his first game, but I still think this is just too much. Uh, I have Louisville winning and covering the points at two and a half. And I'm with you right there, Melo. The, the points I wanted to make was about these wide receivers for Louisville. When you look at Tutu Atwell, this guy can actually be a Hollywood Brown type player and I think this is an underrated team I might have slept on them going into the season I, I think this Louisville team uh, is, is going to surprise a lot of people I, I think Miami might be I don't want to say overhyped but maybe a little overhyped I think when you look at Derek King you could see some of the rust early against UAB and some of the flash some of the exciting uh, running ability but I think for this one uh, you know obviously a two and a half point spread not a big line here I do think Louisville wins and covers yeah it is going to be the the one college game that you're watching because it could be a good game this yeah. weekend I, I think next week that's kind of when our college football really amps up when the, the SEC, SEC starts, gets yeah. back the <laughs> yeah. big 12 starts playing each other mm -hmm. uh, so we'll have more college football games to preview uh does Oklahoma they play Houston Baptist this way or someone terrible no, no they play I don't remember. a bad question when I didn't I know. know the answer I, I think I they're off to this weekend of my head I know Texas Texas Tech is next weekend yeah that's definitely when things will ramp up okay NFL time week one gave us I really thought a great slate of games week two we come back down to earth a little bit, but this is a good one. The Atlanta Falcons at the Dallas Cowboys. The Cowboys are favored by four. And two teams that lost in week one. I, I think like we've kind of forgot that Dallas did lose to the Rams. They lost that game. Atlanta got smacked around a little bit as well. Uh, even though Matt Ryan thrown for 450 yards, gentlemen, Dallas is very, very injured right now, especially at the linebacker position. That gives me some pause. But one thing that I loved from Dallas, that defensive line, is nasty. The return of Alden Smith, I felt like I was watching him with the 49ers. His strength at the great. point of contact. And then you have Tank Lawrence on the other edge. Everson Griffin was making plays in the middle. So as much as we've talked about, man, that Dallas offense and Zeke Elliott, yes, read the stomach tattoo, feed the man. 
it was the defense that really impressed me, especially that D line. I think the we'll see that that young secondary come together a little bit more. Travon Diggs is going to be special, guys. I'm taking Dallas in this one. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. I'm taking Dallas, too. I'm still in shock that they lost to the Rams, but I, I still really like this Dallas team. I know they're banged up at linebacker, but, fellas, that's not anything new to them. They are used to that. They will know how to recover from this. Jalen Smith's still on the field, and I'm with you, Matt. Watching this defensive line is different, and I wish that they still had McCoy out there to roll with these guys, but I'm going to take the Cowboys. I'm just not buying in on the Falcons and being able to stop Zeke Elliott. I don't know that anybody's going to be able to do it. I, I think in week one with the Cowboys, we saw them have some hiccups learning this new offense, playing it at the NFL speed, not just in practice. Uh, but I think in week two, uh, we see this offense come together. I'm taking them. I'm taking them against the points, too. I think it's more than four. This is going to be a good game. Quietly, I think it's going to be a really good game. I think the offense is in this one getting to a bit of a shootout here. I like Atlanta to at least cover those four points. I don't know if they'll pull off a win because I think in crunch time, uh, Zeke looks great. Dallas can run the ball. And like you kind of alluded to, Matt, this is a defensive line that can get upfield and can make plays, especially against a team like Atlanta. But I think Atlanta's going to hang around. I think they're going to score with them for at least the first three quarters. And I do think it'll be a close game. So I'm going Falcons cover in this one. Ooh, there we go. It is going to be a fun game. Like the, I, I don't think there's NBA games on Sunday, or there shouldn't be if there are. Uh, so the only thing that could peel me away from a Nuggets game uh, this weekend might be this one. Rams at Eagles. The Rams came out swinging week one, pulled the victory from the Dallas Cowboys. Philadelphia Eagles, on the other hand, it was bad. It was probably the worst game I've ever seen Carson Wentz play. Sacked eight times, two interceptions. I believe there's another one that got called back. It just wasn't good from Carson Wentz in week one. And if you worried about, oh man, Washington really got to this Eagles offensive line, the Rams can as well. Aaron freaking Donald plays for this team. Heard of Leonard him? Floyd, Michael Brockers. And I thought a, a guy who was my breakout player when we previewed this team, Micah Kaiser was making plays at linebacker. This Rams defense was so much more physical than I expected. Jalen Ramsey was just the alpha. I mean, he looked like the best corner in the NFL again, shutting down the Dallas Cowboys last week. Guys, the Eagles fall to 0-2. I'm taking the L.A. Rams in this one. Yeah, and I'm with you. I can't believe that we're going to be looking at this. At the end of week two, the Rams are going to be 2-0, the Eagles 0-2. That offensive line is just so banged up in Philadelphia. And one thing that I've been saying with Carson Wentz is that if you can find a way to get pressure on him, his eyes come downfield. And it's not great. And with Aaron Donald being on the other side, like you're going to let him beat up this offensive line. I'm sorry to your Eagle fans. It's just not looking good there. I have them going 0-2. Uh, right now, they are the favorite. I was kind of surprised to see it minus one, but I'm taking the Rams, uh, and I don't know if this one's going to be close. I'm going with the Rams as well. Uh, number one, I think we saw what we expect from Sean McVay in week one. Just phenomenal play calling it really throughout. Was. Right? Jared Goff looked very comfortable. I think the offensive line looked very you know, much improved and just... Uh, a well-coached offense is what this is. And you look at the Eagles right now, a lot of teams just can't survive the injury report that they're dealing with. I know Miles Sanders is expected to go in this one. I don't think they can block the Rams front, guys. I mean, nope. th this was a team that freaking Ja'Kai Polite was getting after Dak Prescott to close out the game. He's like their sixth man off the bench. We know they have Aaron <laughs> Donald in there to wreck things. It's it's that ridiculous. I'm not sitting here and saying the Rams are a great team, but they definitely looked like a really good one week one. And the Eagles right now, uh, they're not in rhythm. They're hurt. 
I'm, I understand why they're favored because they're at home. But, man, the Rams, I, I forget, obviously, the cover because it's just a point. Rams are going to win this game. And to me, the Rams were maybe the, the team that week one made me sit up the most and be like, oh, shit. Like, if Sean yeah, McVay is aggressive again and if the offensive line can protect Goff, and I know, like, Goff's stat line, I don't think it was very good, but his play was, like, if they are going to be that aggressive all year, they're going to be a handful. Could be really tough for your 49ers, Matt. Yeah, yeah, we're not picking Jets Niner or Niners at Jets this week. Uh, we're saving everyone that sad song. Uh, okay, how about this one? The Ravens minus seven at the Houston Texans. Texans have had a long time off to prepare for this one after losing Thursday night football to the Kansas City Chiefs. The Ravens uh, basically didn't have to play week one either because they got the Cleveland Browns and they beat them 38-6. to So they are well rested. But Lamar Jackson did take some hits, guys, in that game. And I think that's something to watch moving forward. Coming off an MVP year, he was tremendous last season. Came out firing three touchdowns in the opener, but he did get hit more than I've seen him get hit. Will the Texans be able to rattle him? Something the Browns could not do. I want to peel back the curtain and cross content streams here a little bit, playing swords with our our shows. Mello and I do a little local radio, Connor, as you know, and we have a bet with our former stick-to-football intern, Big Country, over under 39 and a half total touchdowns for Lamar Jackson this year. Loser cannot drink alcohol for a month. I took the over 39 and a half. So this game matters to me so much. Lamar goes off for four touchdowns. The Ravens win easily. And I win every bet because I have a DD for a month guaranteed now, and it's going to be great here. Uh, I think the Ravens are just too much. I think that they're going to cover the seven-point favorites. Uh, this offense, I think that even last week, it looked very vanilla. It looked like they were even maybe holding back a little bit. And they scored 38 points in the NFL. I think that Lamar Jackson has probably taken another step. I know a lot of people wondered, can he duplicate this? Can he do it again? Will NFL defenses catch up? Week one overreaction tells you no, defenses cannot keep up. I'm taking the Ravens to win and cover those points. This is one of my favorite uh, picks of the week right here is Baltimore. I think in my pick, I mean, it was minus six and a half. We have it minus seven here. Don't care. think they get it done. Listen, I find myself rooting for the Texans often because I love Deshaun Watson, but I don't think they can hang with this Baltimore team right now. I mean, sure, against the Browns, Lamar Jackson looked unstoppable. I think he's going to look unstoppable most weeks. I think this defense is going to just be too much for this Texans line that – I mean, good Lord, guys, like, could anybody block or try to block Chris Jones last week? And I know it's Chris Jones. I get that. But it wasn't <laughs> even competitive. It wasn't competitive. I, I mean, man, you- you're starting to see some of the draft woes kick in uh, with the Texans in the trenches. And, and I think Baltimore is, well, God, if they don't win by 10 or 14, I would be surprised. Yeah, exactly. And that might be a lot of their season, like winning by 10 or 14. They have Kansas City week three. So you just. Are they going to be looking ahead? This John Harbaugh is too good to, to have a team looking ahead. Uh, the Sunday night game, New England Patriots at Seattle Seahawks. Last time we saw them in a big game, Malcolm Butler was picking off Russell Wilson in the end zone. Tom Brady's gone. Malcolm Butler's gone. Marshawn Lynch is gone. These teams look very, very different now. Cam Newton going all the way across country to face Russell Wilson, who Bill Belichick called Wednesday or Thursday morning, the best quarterback in the NFL and the player most underrated by the media. Now, I don't know if he's just trying to talk Russ up and, and you know, I don't know that you can phase Russell Wilson. So I don't know like what good that would do. Reverse psychology bullshit that he's trying. Maybe. I mean, 
he, he's not wrong about him being underrated. I think he's just like a point or two off on him being the best quarterback. But this one is a little tough to pick because we saw the Patriots win uh, by 10 points in week one over the Miami Dolphins. How much of a test with it was that? You know, how much of a, uh, a real challenge are you getting there? The Seahawks also win in week one. So I think this is a fun matchup to watch. Uh, the, the Patriots a little more banged up than the Seahawks. But the Seahawks are favored by three and a half, considering they're at home. Tells you it's probably going to be a pretty close game. I actually don't think it's going to be a close game. I used to have a rule never pick against Belichick. I'm probably for the first time in a decade going to do that. I think Seattle wins at home. No crowd noise. That's not going to be a factor. I do think the travel and I do think just playing a defense with this much talent is going to be a bigger challenge for New England. And then looking at what Seattle was able to do last week, putting 38 points up against the Falcons, uh, I think that they'll be able to handle the Patriots no problem too. And, and I'm a little concerned about Cam Newton. I know that our buddy Adam Lefko had some things to say, and, and you know I kind of agree. And when you look at what Cam Newton was able to do against Miami, ran for two touchdowns, but he didn't look like the same Cam Newton. Uh, I know that everybody wants to celebrate him, but I, I thought that he looked slow. He looked a little banged up. And I wonder how much that body can take. And now you have the Seattle Seahawks hosting them. Jamal Adams is going to be looking to just kill Cam Newton. And that is not a guy that I want coming after me. I have the Seahawks winning this one. Uh, when you look at the points, it's three and a half, I believe. I have the Seahawks covering that one, too. I think that this team is just too good. If Belichick's saying it, it's got to be true. And there's a little history there. So Jamal's going to be fired up for this one. I remember when the Panthers uh, came to MetLife and Cam did the Superman because Jamal did not stop him. Uh, he was not happy. So there's definitely going to be some energy in this one. Listen, I, besides the fact that I just don't pick against the Patriots when it comes to the spread, it is hard to find a lot of football reasons why Seattle doesn't cover this game. But I think the defense will be pretty competitive. I mean, Russ looks great. It's a little concerning when you hear Pete Carroll say they want to get back to running the football. It's like, no, when you air it out nonstop with this guy, it works. Now, it's going to be really up to how this Seattle run defense and if Cam can can get back on track throwing. That's going to be the difference in the game. I do think it's going to be close. I think Seattle wins, but I don't think they cover. I think this game will be decided by a point or, or two, maybe even three. I think New England finds a way to hang around in a sloppy game. Uh, it is. It's going to be fun to watch. Like again, Sunday night football. That is a treat. The final game in our pick six here, guys. Saints minus six at the Raiders Monday night football. We get to see the whatever the Death Star, the Roomba, whatever they're calling that thing. It's gorgeous on the outside. I can't wait to see the inside of it. But Saints at Raiders. Raiders looked good week one. They got the W, and we saw what Josh Jacobs can do. He's a dangerous man. Hopefully we see more shots to Henry Ruggs down the field. Jonathan Abram was very, very good in this, guys. The key here for the Saints, no Michael Thomas. He's out with an ankle injury for at least a couple weeks. Here's what I think happens. I think we see a lot of Taysom Hill. I think we see a lot of Alvin Kamara. And Sean Payton goes deep into that playbook. I'm going to pick the Saints to win. I would not be surprised if the Raiders cover. And that's where I'm at on this one, too. I think when you look at the Saints, like you have to protect Drew Brees. You have to do a better job than you did last week. And with the Raiders, they might be able to get after the quarterback. They've got some really good young pass rushers there. But also, they're going to be able to put up points. And that's why I have the Saints winning this one. But I do think that the Raiders cover. It's their home opener. They're going to be excited in that new stadium. We saw it with the Rams already, too. Uh, I just think that that's going to play a factor in this. I, and I think that with Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, a healthy Raiders offense, maybe 
maybe we see a little bit more Henry Ruggs. I think they score enough points to stay within six points, but the Saints get the W. It's a big test for the Saints front seven because that Raiders offensive line, these guys can run block. We saw Josh Jacobs go off for three touchdowns. They get him involved in the passing game. I think it's going to be another strong game for him, but I think Demario Davis can do enough to slow things down there. And the other biggest point for me in this game and why I think the Saints cover the line at six points even without Michael Thomas, I think Drew Brees is going to throw on this secondary. I really do. I think the offensive line is more than talented enough to give him enough time, and I don't think those Raiders corners can hang with guys, even like the back, not backups, but the secondary guys, right? Emmanuel Sanders, when you look at it, I think Alvin Kamara dominates in the passing game in this one. I think that, you know, will Traquan Smith get involved? He definitely has the speed to, and we saw that hurt the Raiders last week against Robbie Anderson. So, yes, not having Michael Thomas, it's it's a dagger. It's huge. Still think the Saints offense is well-coached enough, well-executed enough that they cover this line. Let us know what you think. Pick six games. Tweet us at Sticks Football, Instagram us at Sticks Football, and as always, great time to leave that Apple podcast. Review us, take a break, and then we'll close this baby out with some draft on draft. Pop those tops, it's draft on draft time, and we start it here with Josh Collier. If the Jacksonville Jaguars win five or six games, but that equates to a top seven pick, is that still replaced Gardner territory or possibly look to build around him because he won more games than anyone expected? Josh is a great question, man, and it's something that I struggle with as well because I like Gardner Minshew. And, you know, I was going back this week and looking at my pre-draft scouting reports on him and conversations with agents that I took notes on. We, I liked him, and I know you guys did as well. Like He's fun. He's smart. Everything you heard about the dude was, man, he's a great leader. And I think people overlooked him a little bit because of that Mike Leach offense, and he's kind of, you know, it's kind of a character with the headband and the mustache and the jorts. But come Sundays, he's playing very, very well. And last weekend, going 19-20 with three touchdowns against the Indianapolis Colts should serve as a little bit of a wake-up call. Now, I do think he has to keep it going. If they win five or six games and Minshew shows development, then I do think you're looking at maybe Penny Sewell, maybe Dylan Raddins, maybe Sam Cosme. Uh, Maybe you are looking because a lot of your receivers are free agents. Maybe you're looking at a Jamar Chase. So I don't think the Jags are locked into, we have to get a quarterback. If Minshew shows development to where they can sit back And I I do think there's a chance that there's a new general manager there. But if the new general manager can say, I got a cheap quarterback for two more years who's playing pretty well. Let me try to build around him. I I do think we could see them keep Minshew around. I do think it's a possibility. And this is a guy who is a coach on the field. And hell, he was almost a coach at Alabama. Uh, I think that if he continues to play well, and I know it's week one, uh, but if he does play well, and I think that he's going to have to for Jacksonville to win five or six games, and they're in that spot, they might look at it and say, ooh, is Penny Sewell still on the board? Let's go ahead and pull the trigger on that guy, or let's get him a Jamar Chase instead of trying to go after one of these other young quarterbacks. Uh, but it all comes down to Gardner. And so far, he's playing very well. 19 of 20 in week one against the Colts. Now, that's one hell of a stat line. Not many people have been able to do that before. So I think it's all about Gardner Minshew. If he continues to play well, I do think the Jaguars are going to have a very hard time moving on from him. I love what he's done, but to answer Josh's question, the way Josh framed this question, if it goes down like that, they will look for a quarterback, and here's why. Uh, 2018, Doug Marone, 5-11. and 11. 2019, Doug Marone, 6-10. and 10. So if you're looking at 2020, Doug Marone goes 5-11 and 11 or 6-10 and 10 again. 
That's three really, really bad years. You're probably looking at hiring a new head coach. You're probably finally looking at hiring a new general manager. Those guys are going to want to draft a quarterback with a top seven pick. And this is a class where there's three really good quarterbacks. You're probably in territory where if you had to, you can move up for one of the top three. You're obviously not getting Trevor Lawrence, but if you can get Justin Fields or Trey Lance, that's something to be excited about. And the bottom line is it's going to matter on who they hire as the head coach. Maybe they do interview a head coach who goes back and watches all their film and says, listen, I believe in the guy you got in Gardner Minshew right now. Let's roll with him. Let's build this offensive line. But those things don't happen very often. It's the same thing I'm telling Jets fans. It's the same thing we told Washington fans before the season. If you're bad enough to be picking for Trevor Lawrence or if you're bad enough to be picking for one of the quarterbacks and not for Washington because they got their coach, but you have a new head coach. The hiring power of getting a good head coach is saying, hey, you have the choice here to start fresh with your own guy. I think that would be the problem for Jacksonville in that scenario. The conundrum of Dave Caldwell is like their last two draft classes look really good. Like he's not that bad at drafting, like finding DJ Chark, not finding, but pulling the trigger on. Uh, CJ Henderson was great week one. Uh, Caleb on Chase on was good. Josh Allen was amazing in his rookie season. Like he's not necessarily bad at drafting. They've just made bad decisions. You know, it's just like that one Blake Bortles thing shut this whole franchise down. And then how they treated players after that. Like Tom Coughlin set this team back a decade, it feels like. Not just in how they did things, but in how quickly they can get back to being on top. Jeremy Godden wants to know, fellas, what's your initial reaction to Ben Roethlisberger's performance Monday night? You know, I thought it was very uneven, truly. And came out, was rusty. I think we saw in the fourth quarter, or the second half even, he started getting looser, opening things up a little bit. Uh, you saw the the rapport with Juju Smith-Schuster was so big for this team. Um, Deontay Johnson had some issues of his own, but th- that connection got going. So I thought Ben looked good. It was not like, I'm not ready to be like, oh my God, Roethlisberger's back because they're still playing a New York Giants team that's not very good in the secondary. Uh, but I, I think you have to be encouraged. The three touchdowns were big. Uh, the fact that you know once the right tackle went down, he still only got sacked twice. I, I think that's a really, really good sign for them. But they got a lot of targets. And you know seeing Chase Claypool get involved, seeing James Washington get involved, Eric Ebron, I think you can be encouraged. But I'm still going to hold out hope. I'm a little skeptical and see like what he does against a better defense. Same. I, he's old as shit. Let's not get it twisted. And he did pick apart a park a Giants defense that's young, that's still not good. But I think if you're a Steelers fan, you have to be a little bit optimistic. It's not Doug Hodges out there throwing the football. So even I think average old Ben Roethlisberger is still going to be your best quarterback option. And I think this is a guy that can get you to the playoffs, into the playoffs, make a playoff run. I would not be surprised if the Steelers won the Super Bowl this year. And I think Ben Roethlisberger has a lot to do with that. You could just watch him. Like I, I don't even know if it was a two-minute drill right there before halftime, though. Just watching the Steelers move the ball and him saying, okay, I don't have anything down the field. I'll dump it off to Juju Smith-Schuster. We'll keep moving the ball. We'll take time off the clock, whatever. But young quarterbacks are not able to move the ball like that. They're not able to lead drives like that. And you have a veteran quarterback that can do that. So I was impressed with Ben Roethlisberger, but at the same time, like th- this isn't going to be like MVP level Ben Roethlisberger, but it's going to be good enough that the Steelers are going to be very good. I think it was expected that he'd be shaking off some rust early on, but overall, I mean, he looks like he can do enough to get this team as a Super Bowl contender this year. I mean, we know they have the defense, and the defense was rusty, too, against the Giants and Daniel Jones. They had some really timely turnovers uh, that ended some some big drives. When you look at Big Ben, 
I, number one, yeah, Mel, he looks old as shit, man. Like, it's even the way he moves, like, it, all of that. I don't even see why he continues to play after this year unless he truly, truly wants to. But Deontay Johnson had some drops in this game that hurt the stat line. I mean, he had as bad of a game. Like, he's not going to be that bad the rest of the year, Deontay Johnson. It felt like since he muffed the punt, he his focus was just lost. He's going to be better than what we saw. If you get him going, you saw what what makes Juju great. You saw Chase Claypool involved. You saw James Washington involved. They could not get the run game going at all in the first half with James Conner. Benny Snell showed to have a lot more burst and juice in the run game. So I think with the Steelers, it's about as good as you can ask for on that opening game because they are going to get their run game going. They are going to get Deontay Johnson uh, you know, playing at a more consistent level. Big Ben can do enough to take this team to a Super Bowl this year. You just wonder how many more years can he stay healthy because he's still holding the ball forever and taking a lot of hits. This is my Kyle Trask landing spot. Maybe not round mm-hmm. one, but if Kyle Trask yeah. has, like, I just think he fits what they do. I mean, obviously, I would love to see Trey it's my Lance Sam here. Darnold landing spot. <laughs> or that. There you go, yeah. <laughs> I know it's morbid to say, but I'm just saying it now. I would... Yeah, never mind. I'm not going to go there. It's like, I'll trade you Jimmy Garoppolo, but... For Sam Darnold? But I would say no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, just like, I would do that one. I'd pull the trigger on that. Yeah. Right now. All right. Let's get away from those two. They suck. I shouldn't say they suck. They're both struggling right now. Let's say that. Matt Brace asked, what do you think is the Dallas Cowboys' biggest need to address next offseason, considering cap reductions and the expiring deals they have on the table? Matt, I look at this team. I'm worried about the offensive line. I think Tyron Smith, I mean, he's still phenomenal, but he's getting older. They don't have a guy there ready to take that spot. I think they've addressed the interior, you know, picking Connor McGovern, Tyler Biedish. I look at those offensive tackle spots. We saw how bad Terrence Steele was replacing Lyle Collins uh, on Monday night. So I would look at that offensive line because that is an area where, whether it's the 2021 cap or moving forward, once you get Tyron Smith's number off there, things get a lot more fluid for the Dallas Cowboys. So, you know, we could say linebacker Leighton Vander Esch just cannot stay healthy. It's unfortunate, but he can't do it. And so I think linebacker is an area you could look at. I'm intrigued by this team. I think they've drafted well, but you're getting to that offensive line spot where, you know, you're going to have to figure it out on the edges. And that's what I was looking at, too, is that offensive line. Like you said, what's going to happen with Smith? He is getting older. Do you have a guy that can come in and replace him? Do you want to try to slide Collins over to the left side? But I think offensive line is big. I still think they need secondary help. I think that this is a pretty good safety class. You could be looking at Holland or Cisco, and right there in probably range where the Cowboys will, I assume, be drafting in like the 20s. And if you can get one of those guys to be that over-the-top safety for your defense, I think it would go great with Diggs, who I thought looked really good in week one at corner. So I would say after offensive line, maybe even linebacker, the secondary still could use some guys. I mean, it definitely can. Obviously, they're playing a young corner like Diggs out there. It feels like this team needs a free safety. And the good news for them is this is a good safety draft. I don't think they'll have to worry about going to find that guy in free agency next year. I think they can draft a safety uh, that can come in and, and really help in coverage and help over the top. And when you look at it, you know, the good thing for this Dallas team is you know, besides Amari Cooper, and it'll be interesting to see if Michael Gallup wants an extension after this year. Uh, they got two very talented wide receivers on rookie deals in C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup, and you already got Amari Cooper done. You already got Ezekiel Elliott done. We know the Dak Prescott uh, scenario has just gone on and on and on, but he's a guy that's willing to play on the franchise tag, it seems. So 
you feel good about all your offensive skill talent where it's pretty obvious what this team needs are. I mean, they've kind of solved their secondary pass rush guys with one-year deals, and that's something they'll have to revisit after this year. So I think that'll be a low-key thing they have to get. Once again, safety, though, some offensive line help. But for Dallas, it's funny. I look at the Cowboys, and like personnel for me is rarely a problem with this football team. Sure, we can nitpick the secondary. I do agree. That's a big one for me. We can nitpick the depth of this offensive line. Uh, but they are one of the more talented teams in football. They need to be coached like it. I, I know it's one week, and, and I'm not going to you know, jump ship or get all nervous yet. But this was my fear with Mike McCarthy when he was interviewing after he got fired because he interviewed with the Jets. And then he takes the year off. He says he values analytics. He values this. He values that. They need to get as much possible. They need to get more out of Mike McCarthy because this is a really good football team. It is. And Mike Nolan, uh, that defense coordinator, He's. we saw the front four do really well. I think we'll see that. Hopefully, we'll see a defense round out. Football is better when the Cowboys are good. So hopefully that happens. Last question from Justin Tarbell. A lot is made of Howie Roseman being good with the cap, but he seems like he makes some questionable picks early in the draft. Do y'all rank him among the top GMs, or is he just good at hiring the right people to help make him look good, i.e. Joe Douglas and Andrew Barry? So there's a lot to unpack here, buddy. Yes. I, I think every GM <laughs> is as good as their staff. You know, it's it's never just Bill Belichick. It's the guys under him. It's never just John Schneider. It's the guys under him. You know, and so like even, you know, Go back to Kansas City when John Dorsey was there. You had Chris Ballard. You had Brett Veach. And we've seen guys like Ballard, you know, have some good drafts, but not be able to turn that team over in Indianapolis yet. So I, I do think, you know, as a GM, you're only as good as the people under you because you're not omnipotent, right? You're not doing everything. So you need those good lieutenants. And I think that's a credit to Howie Roseman to be able to identify and groom and, and keep those guys. Now, as far as the picks go, I have not been a fan of what Philadelphia has done most years. I uh, was not a Derek Barnett fan at all. Did not like Jalen Rieger where they drafted him in the first round, especially with someone like Justin Jefferson on the board. Uh, I, I just I have not really liked their strategy, but this is still a team that were they healthy, they would be the best team in the NFC East or one of the best teams in the NFC East, which makes you one of the best teams in the NFL. I, I just think that it's, I don't want to say Howie Roseman's bad at his job, is he a top five general manager? I don't think he's a top five team builder, but he might be a top five CEO, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think he hired one heck of a coach. I really like Doug Peterson, what he's been able to do. Obviously, Carson Wentz has been very good when healthy, despite last week. But as far as top five GMs, I don't know if I'm ready to say that. And even when you know you mentioned some of the guys that he's had on staff, I think it's still very early to say, like, oh, Joe Douglas and Perry have been very good. And it's still very early in their careers, too. Like, they could flare out and, and not be special and have to return to some other front office roles. But as far as top five, I don't know if I would do that, but you have that Super Bowl ring. So I think it's at least a discussion. I th yeah, I think it's great that you bring up, you know, we don't know what Joe Douglas and Andrew Barry are yet. You know, we I think everybody liked the Browns and Jets drafts this year. Still a lot left that we have to see. Still a lot of team building left that we have to see. Now, those guys absolutely helped and supplemented Howie because Howie didn't run the drafts in Philly. Joe ran the drafts in Philly. So, you know, Howie would be the first person to tell you, uh, you know, sure, he's signing off on picks. He's watching players. He's not, like, useless in terms of scouting. But he's going to let his guys run the draft, and, and he's going to cross-check them. And Howie is a guy that, like Matt said, is a CEO of the team. He likes to navigate, uh, you know, how can we fit this player in here? How do we build enough cap space to get this player? 
obviously very, very active in the trade market, and I think quite good and good in the trade market. So I think it's tough to answer, is he, you know, a top GM? He's probably hovering around that. He's in the 5 to 10 kind of area. But it, there's a lot left to be seen with this Eagles team. We often forget they have a young quarterback that has played like an MVP at times, has played like, I hate using this word, but what people would label as a bust at times. But he's played like an MVP more than he's played like a bust. And I think when you see him have his awful, awful games, it's when the offensive line is hurt or they have no wide receivers on the field. Like when Carson Wentz has what he needs, the guy is an absolute baller. So yeah, I think Howie does a really good job. I just think the Eagles have caught a little bit of bad luck at times with injuries. And we're going to have a lot of answers to this question after this offseason because they are entering salary cap hell mm-hmm. and they are going to they are going to have to navigate a lot of issues. Yeah. And you got to draft well when you get to that point where like, let's load up, exactly. make a run. OK, we got to unpack. It's time to draft well. And I, I think that is one thing that, like Bill Belichick has done better than anyone. It's I'm loading up and this is my team and then I'm going to unload and then I'm going to he's been able to continuously reload that roster on the fly. You know, with a lot of these teams, and Seattle's done a good job of this as well, you know, not to the level of New England, but I think that's one thing, Mello, like for for your Chiefs or for the Dallas Cowboys, like, okay, you're good. Now you got to be able to reload that roster every two to three years in the NFL right now. So that's where we'll see how good Howie Roseman and, and whomever he has working under him are at their job. So... Fun show today. A little bit of a shorter show as we get ready for the weekend, but we will be back. Don't kill us. Please don't. <laughs> we will be back Tuesday morning. Hopefully, like, you just had fun today. We'll all be on Twitter all weekend. If you miss us, tweet us. You'll find us all over the internet right now. You, you can't miss it. Uh, so, man, I, I keep going back to it's. I'm so used to football season Thursday morning being like, we'll see you Saturday on Tailgate Tour. We don't get to say that yet, but hopefully uh, we'll be able to say that before too long because I miss it. I I loved getting out oh on tailgate tour. I mean, it's still weird though. Like, not a lot of fans in stadiums. I know that a lot of people are having like off-site tailgates, and some people are saying you can't call them tailgates. I don't know if I'm ready to be around you crazies yet, but uh, as soon as we can and it's safe, you bet your ass we'll be out there. Right. I know. I I was thinking about it last week because I was home. I was visiting my parents on a football weekend. It's like unheard of. And uh, they had some friends over because it's my dad's birthday. And they're like, oh, like, Connor, like, you know, do you usually travel during the year? And I'm like, let me tell you all the places (laughs) I've been the last two years. And then I got, like, really depressed because I'm like, man, we were supposed to go to Notre Dame this year. We were supposed to, you know, we want to go to Virginia Tech eventually. Like, all these awesome places. So uh, let's pray that, you know, that will definitely be, you know, a thing in the future. And because it's... God, it, it's crazy, all that traveling, but man, it's it makes the fall fly by, but it is so much fun. Yeah, absolutely is. We miss it. I don't know. We might have to do like a Zoom gate at some point, which sounds like Sounds some, like a good idea. Also, this is like something the Patriots would get in trouble for, you know, <laughs> Zoom gate. <laughs> They're hacking into Zoom meetings. Uh, we'll do oh, a different man. kind, maybe. That's, that's not my worst idea I've ever had, but that is our show. We'll be back Tuesday morning. Y'all have a good weekend. Enjoy football, and we'll talk to you soon.